listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey. Hey, everybody. I hope everybody's having a great week. And for those of you who are just signing on to my podcast, welcome. I'm so glad you're here at the fam. And for those of you who've been signing in every week, thank you so much for listening and checking out my podcast. Um, this These last few weeks, I've really just been so blessed to talk to experts all in the areas of places that I have questions. I think it's so amazing to be able to reach out to people, uh, mainly through social media and where I have questions, I'm not really like, you know, calling my friends um, to just get one-sided perspectives. I'm actually reaching out to amazing experts and experienced um, individuals who share their perspectives. And so for those of you who've been listening, please do make sure that you review, rate these episodes because when you go to iTunes and you rate and review, I'm able to see exactly how you feel about each episode and I'm able to understand what it is you guys are thinking out there with these experts that we have and and, and what kind of questions you have that maybe we haven't tapped into. Um, in doing so, the last few weeks, obviously in opening up my horizon of understanding on how I can be the best ally I can be and how one way to do that is to support Black-owned businesses, I happened to fall upon an Instagram page that really inspired me, and that happens to be Miss Sonia R. Price Herbert. Sonia, you've joined me today from New York. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, thank you so much. Of I'm course. I'm very honored. Yeah. yeah, well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored too. And the reason why I fell so in love with your Instagram page is because you very poignantly, if that's a word, spoke out on what it's like to be a, an owner of a company as a black woman, what it's like in the industry that you work in that feels very misrepresented and, and mm -hmm. completely stereotyped and judged. Um, and you wrote this Washington Post article that was just on the nose with every question that we've either asked or kind of knew in the back of our head, but we, we, we never failed to, to pay more attention to. So the article on Washington Post that Sonia wrote is called, I'm a black Pilates teacher. Here's how the fitness industry can move toward anti-racism. This article just captivated me because you spoke with such fervor and such angst about your experience in moving through so many different fitness studios and, and, and where the misrepresentation lay and where you felt the need to go and build your own Pilates studio that's now called Black Girl Pilates. And I, I just want to understand first, can you talk, can you walk us through your, your starting out, your, your beginning stages, where you're from, how you got into fitness, and the, the, the misrepresentation you started noticing right away with the different studios you worked in? So I'm originally from Texas, the great red state of Texas. Um, there's, I don't think I need to give any more description <laughs> about it. But uh, I moved here to New York City in 1999. I was not in, uh, I was not teaching Pilates at the time, but I was in fitness. Um, I mean, I, I was working out. Um, I've always been something of a lifter. And that is one of the things that helped me uh, doing some, you know, during some times when I was dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety. And so it kind of really helped um, me feel a lot better. And I really loved it. Um, you know, it wasn't something that I thought I would ever, you know, be a part of. Eventually, as the years progressed, I found that I got, you know, I became more interested in it. I am by trade 
and by career a social worker. And I was I did that for about a decade and a half and wonderful. Um, I loved it. You know, I still do. I go back to it. Um, but, you know, there's seasons for everything. So my introduction to Pilates was with a uh, wonderful, amazing black woman who was my daughter's ballet teacher from age six until she graduated high school. And uh, I never heard of it, um, but I learned Pilates from a black woman in a black school with black people, which is, you know, it's not a common thing. I'll just say that, but I was blessed to be able to do that. I'd never really heard of it again. And you know, it really changed my life and changed my body in a way that was different from actually, you know, like lifting weights, which I still do. Uh, I compete as a power lifter. I'm fairly new, but I really love it. Uh, can't compete now. Thank you, COVID. Uh, so that's not happening. But one of the questions that I asked my teacher, Cynthia Shipley, was why why are there not that many people, not that many Black people that know about this? Because this has changed my life. I see it changing, you know, these other women who come to class with me. She's an amazing teacher anyway. And I was like, I don't understand why the black community doesn't know about that. So I decided at that point that this was something that I wanted to become certified in. And at one time I was considering, you know, I was thinking about like, you know, well, what do I want to, I do want to do something in fitness, but I'm not sure what it is. And that was the thing. So I found it. Um, I, you know, I think I trained with her for maybe like a couple months and then literally the following year I went and got certified in Matt Pilates. And then, um, so I could become more marketable. I went and got certified in all of the equipment. So I'm considered, you know, classically trained or whatever the hell they call that these days. I just feel like I teach Pilates, but I'm right. classically trained. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah. And, you know, from there. I mean, I was the only black uh, apprentice in my, you know, at the Pilates studio where I certified. I did have a, have a black um, teacher trainer who is also in my group. Cynthia Shipley is in my group. Tila Anderson, who was my teacher trainer at Core Pilates NYC. Um, they, you know, she was, she was my teacher trainer, but that was the only black face I pretty much saw. And so it became a concern for me because I was like, surely uh, there has to be other black people out here teaching because you know, this is all I'm seeing. Like I see Cynthia, I see Tila, and then I look at myself and I wonder, you know, well, where are they? You know? Um, and so as I began to, to teach more, um, you know, I taught for a very big luxury gym uh, for about five years. And there I had, there was probably total of us, about four of us, but I think out of the staff, uh, there were like 12 staff and four of us were, were black and we just kind of came in and out. Um, I'd only had one, I've only had one black manager in my entire life uh, or rather in my t entire 13 year career in Pilates. Um, and so, you know, I, I was just like, well, I don't see why we're not here. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me because, hmm. and so um the beginnings actually of Black Girl Pilates was, and I can't remember exactly the year, but it was going to be uh, Pilates Instructors of Color. And I was not going to run it because I felt like I was still wet behind the ears. I was like, I'm still new. You know, I've, how, how could I run anything? You know, so I had met up with uh, the great Sarita Allen. She's a former Ailey dancer. Um, and Diane 
Harvey Salam, who was also a dancer, uh, Marcia Dater, and Dallas Fuentes. Met with all of these women they had been teaching for a long time, and um, Diane was going to be the person to run it. But they were all still dancing, choreographing. I'm not a dancer. Uh, I mean, I was in theater and I sing, but I was not a dancer. I was I was teaching and still, you know, still doing um, social work at the time. And so we just, you know, things just didn't happen then. And sometimes it's just not the season for, you know, for it. So fast forward to 2017, in May of 2017, I was actually coming out of a, a very bad breakup. And, you know, thank God for those breakups because it just really like pulls out all your, you know. It wakes you <laughs> all up. Your, it yes, checks all you. Of your, yes, all your creativity and you're like, fuck him, this is great. But then you're like, thank him. <laughs> I think the best line I ever heard in regards to that was Beyonce when she said, my revenge will be my paper, something like that. But about oh, revenge, yeah. anything she got revengeful is going to come back in making her money. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure he's read my article. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> oh, I love that. Wow. Um, so, so what did that waken and, you to do? Yeah, so I, you know what? I it's still to this day, every time I tell this story, I couldn't tell you why I decided, you know what? I'm going to just start looking for Black Pilates instructors because I, I don't follow that many and the few that I did follow um you know I there was one one girl who's in my group uh Mickey Fit I reached out to her and I was like you know I'm thinking about starting this group you know it's not really anything you know I just want to like see people who look like me I want to I want to show that we actually exist out here and do like a feature page on Instagram so I said do you know any other black people <laughs> that teach Pilates she's like yeah so she gave me 10 uh, another another um, person who was in my group, she gave me 10. And it just kind of started from there. And to be honest, Jeannie, you know, I, I really truly had no plans for a black girl Pilates to be what it is today. I just wanted to, I just didn't want to be by myself anymore. And I wondered if there are other people, you know, other black instructors who felt the same way, particularly black women, because we are pretty much the lowest on the totem pole when it comes to anything. And so you know, I started it out, and uh, before I knew it, in June, I had about 80 women. I had started a Facebook support group, and I was like, great, we're going to be all together. We're going to be talking about, you know, what's going on in the business. We're going to talk about um, what we're experiencing as black instructors in a very white method, and this is wonderful. And then I, that was around the time that Ferguson had happened, um, and a mentor of mine who actually is a mentor for me uh, with anti-racism um, webinars that I teach. She also teaches um, anti-racism. Her name is Catrice M. Jackson. So you guys should certainly follow her. Check her out. She's amazing. I'm writing her down, Catrice M. Jackson. M. Jackson, yes. Okay. Absolutely amazing. And so um, I had talked to her about Black Girl Plotted. She's actually the reason why I, how, she, was, she was my, um, Oh, how do I want to say it? She she really encouraged me to do it because I knew that first the name was going to be a big thing, black, adding black, and then Pilates going to be a big thing. Yeah, that was going to be, you know, I was going to hear about reverse racism, bullshit, all that kind of stuff like that. Black people can't be racist. That's a whole whole other podcast. So she's, you know, I talked to her about it. She said, you should do it. So I did it. Um, 
And then she also came back to me and she was like, hey, uh, there's this group that I'm working with, actually a group that I follow called Girls Gone, Girls Gone Strong. And she said, you know, they're looking for, um, for black and brown women to start writing for them. Would you like, would you consider writing? And I was like, I love to write, absolutely. So the very first article I wrote, this is actually, that was actually gonna be my second published article, but this article actually just really took things, took Black Girl Pilates to kind of, you know, a larger scale than I expected, because it's a large platform. So the article that I wrote was, let's talk about the lack of, represent, the lack of representation of Black women in fitness. Um, that article was released literally during the weekend or right, or it might've been the day of the Ferguson um, riots, not riots, but March. Well, they can write if they want to, but, um, and so after then, I mean, my article was just everywhere. And before then my, you know, by then my group was a little over a hundred people. And then fast forward to now, I mean, I can't tell you how many podcasts I've been on. Um, I've written articles for Self Magazine. Uh, Washington Post is probably like my biggest ever. Uh, everybody came looking for me. I didn't go looking for them. You know, I was writing my own stuff. Going back to the lack of representation and how you yourself had to dig around not only to find you know, black instructors, but I imagine also, also that the facilities and gym were lacking in areas that a lot of black communities lived in too. And one line that you said in your article was that most elite gyms and boutique studios are not in black communities because the economics of our communities do not meet the revenue criteria. So Correct. that right there unpacks so many things that people need to understand today, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, systemic racism, redlining, mm -hmm. the racial wealth gap. Mm -hmm. But you also drew what you saw misrep misrepresented there with there being a fitness redlining. Mm -hmm. Can you break that down for me? It's so funny that you should bring that up because I actually talked about that today in a live. Um, and I talked about uh, what fitness redlining was for me. So as we know, you know, uh, redlining itself is this, the simple version is like drawing a line in the sand. And so you only, uh, the resources only come up to that red line after that red line, then there's no resources. So we're beyond that red line, right? So the black and brown communities, um, as we know, uh, they're food deserts. We do not get the best hospitals. Sometimes we don't get the best doctors. We do not, you know, there's, well, now it's a little different because of gentrification, but previous to that, I mean, there weren't that many business facilities in our area. The schools were under-resourced. So we weren't getting all of the money um, that wider communities would get. If you think about it, like take New York, for example, that's what I use today. So, um, so any of the luxury gyms or the luxury gym that I know of, um, they will never go past 96th Street. And the reason why is because there's, there's not enough resources there for them, not enough, um, not enough money for them to sustain what they want because they're not marketing to me. They're not marketing to anybody brown or black at all. And they wouldn't tell you that. Um, they would say, well, we're marketing to a specific, um, you know, income level, but your income level is the white income level and you will only go up to 96th street. That's about as far as you've gone. Well, literally like 
92nd, but they won't go beyond 96th Street because beyond 96th Street, it becomes more black and brown. And so why, you know, why would we want to take our luxury gym into, you know, such a community? Now, if the, the gentrification has happened in like Harlem and Washington Heights where I live, now if that keeps moving from the lower part of Manhattan up and all of that money keeps coming up here, then they'll probably consider, you know, okay, well now there's, there's money there. But my question is, why didn't you consider doing that before those resources were there? We sh- actually, we should have been getting those resources before that because think about it. Think about it, Jeannie. All we're asking as black people is to be treated like humans. Like what they have, we want to. Like we, you know, what I like to have a, uh, you know, what I like for my kids to go to a, a good school? Absolutely. What I like for my neighborhood to have um, fresh fruit and food and, you know, and not the last, yes. Would I like that? Would I I want my neighborhood to have um, adequate medical care so I don't have to go downtown because everybody here, you know, they're not the best because they don't, they won't provide us resources? Absolutely. So I want everything, or black people want everything a white person would want, a human would want, right? And so we're talking about humans here. So basically they're saying that, well, you know, you're not a good enough human for me to take my business past this red line. So therefore I'll keep, I'll keep my business on the other, other side of the red line and we will grab the resources here. And so we'll continue to make sure that there's no resources in your community until the resources from downtown come uptown. And so that's what I mean by the whole fitness redlining. However, there have been, you know, you have smaller facilities like you know, Blink and, and Planet Fitness that have kind of crossed that line. But the reason why they're crossing is because they're affordable and they assume that, that we can only afford affordable. When who knows, we probably, I'm, you know, how do you know that I can't afford a luxury gym? How do you know that I wouldn't want something like that? So you're saying that as a human, that this is all that I'm worth. So you're only going to give me the crumbs from your table. So Sonia, if a, if a business is only prioritizing the area where they can make it most lucrative, where they can reach the highest price point of things that people can afford, mm-hmm. and they know, let's say the 96th Street example, that they're avoiding that area because they're assuming that people of, of, of beyond that area can't afford what their price range would expect. Is that, is that just a... Obviously, is that an, obviously that's an assumption, but is it mm-hmm. a is it then does that then become an ethical decision to not expand your business so that other communities can you know can afford and 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 experience what let's say for example Pilates or a gym could offer. So for example, mm-hmm. if a gym let's say charged three hundred dollars for each member to come in and use it, and mm-hmm. in this area be below ninety sixth Street, everybody can afford it. Mm-hmm. Let's say this gym, because they thought we would like to expand our clientele and we want the black and brown community to, to, to be exposed to you know, a, a healthier lifestyle. So we're going to go ahead and open in beyond the 96th Street with the same charge of $300 per membership. And let's say it's ghost town. They, they, they have, that they aren't able, that the amount that they're making beyond 96th Street doesn't match what they make under 96th Street. So what happens then as a business owner what what do you what does a business owner need to consider 
in order to ethically choose wisely to incorporate communities that don't have their businesses that should be exposed to the facility, but still make their margins that they need? How does that work? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? What I just asked? Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, here's the thing, Junie, is that there's so much to unpack around that. Yeah. Like it's not, um, you know, we were talking about earlier about how uh, black and brown communities are already un- under-resourced. And that was, that was a planned thing. So if you go back and you look at history like Black Wall Street, right, very affluent with black people, um, you know, we owned our businesses, all kinds of things. Those things were burned down, right? So you can actually go on Google and you can, there's, there's a few like uh, specific black towns that were very, very affluent um, on their own. But because um, white people had a problem with that and they felt insecure and it felt like for some reason we're gonna take over, take over the world and take everything from them, then they burn those things down. And to me, this is literally like the same thing that they've done. This time they don't burn us down, they just don't resources, right? So they're like, well, you know, I mean, I don't think any of those businesses would even consider coming here anyway. And then it also goes back to, and this is what I say in my webinars, um, because I have lots of questions about like, what should we, you know, well, how do we, how do we get started? Well, you get started, it's a heart issue. Racism is a heart thing. So it starts by looking at yourself, turning the mirror on yourself, like the man in the mirror, you know, like Michael Jackson talks about turning the mirror on yourself and looking at yourself and digging through all of the trash and all of the stuff that's just ugly because racism is horrible. It's absolutely horrible. It smells horrible. It looks horrible. It runs through. Yes, it runs through, runs through their blood. You can see it. It comes out of their mouth, out of their nose, out of their ears. And so instead of, you know, instead of trying to uh, bring the business there, how about you try to deal with what's in your heart first? Because if you bring that affluent, that business there, $300 or whatever, even if we can pay it, guess what? When I walk in the door, I'm still going to be, I'm still going to experience microaggressions, sometimes macroaggressions. You're still going to be racist towards me. You're still going to be discriminatory, discriminatory against me. Even you can put all the black people in the world uh, at the front desk and at lower level management, which is basically where they'll be. But at the top, it's still going to be the same. So even if you do bring those things into my community, what's happening at the top? Are, is my people going to be able to walk into that place and feel safe and not feel like they're being discriminated against because of their race? No, they're not. And there's so much to unpack with that. And I know it sounds like, you know, well, it's sort of like a, it's a business decision. But then you also have to realize that um, the system by which the businesses have to function isn't a system that works for black people either. So, I mean, there's, there's so many layers to it. Yeah. So many. I asked because this is a question I've asked before. I remember when a pressed juicery opened up in a neighborhood that I worked in, but where I mm-hmm. lived in LA, it wasn't mm-hmm. there. And, and I know honestly that the area I lived in, you know, wasn't, as affluent as the area I worked in. But I really wanted the fresh juice and it tasted so differently than the Vaughn's or the Ralph's juice, you know, that was just, you know, crap that you had mm-hmm. from Minute Maid. And, mm-hmm. and when I asked the business owner, that was exactly the answer I received. They were like, 
These juices are $8 a bottle. Nobody there is going to afford that. My overhead will not even be, be met. I mean, just the cost alone to, to make my rent need, my rental needs. And I didn't have a response for it. And so I just know that, I know that when other people are listening to this podcast, whether they're entrepreneurial or um, business owners, for me, if I were to open up a business, being um, Asian American, I know for me, when I was living in the Bay, mm-hmm. in my area of, of San Jose, I definitely drove over to Los Gatos or Palo Alto or you know um, San Francisco and, and the nicer areas mm-hmm. of Presidio Heights in order to get like the, the nice looking things, you know, to sit, you know, take my friends to these nice restaurants. But I didn't have that in my own area. And I honestly never questioned it. And that's why when I read your article, it made me question why I drive to these other nicer areas to get these things. But then mm-hmm. I'm not a business owner. So I don't know how to respond to the business owner like the guy at Press Juicery that I asked when, it, when, when I say, don't you want your juices to be provided to people of other cultures who may not have the exposure of this or may not have the mm-hmm. ability to, to, to you know reach things like this for me as a business owner it would be an ethical decision for me if I had a, a, a juice an amazing product that I knew bettered my life made me healthier I'm, I'm always for anything that's going to help our lifestyle be healthier and, and our mental health to be better I'm ethically going to somewhere cut prices and make arrangements so that my business mm-hmm. can can operate Maybe not thrive as well as it could in the, in the areas where I could charge a dumbass price tag and other people will pay it. But I still want to know that my people are experiencing what I've learned. You know, it's almost like when you taste the, the taste of pure, good, healthy water. And I know you're drinking some crap water. I've got to bring it to you and figure out a way for you to be able to get it. So yeah. to me, it's just an ethical decision. To me, to me, it's like companies that make it possible to for other people who can't afford it they make it possible. That's just because they're a good person. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we know money rides over ethics. It just, it, it just is yeah. what it is. So does yeah. it just come down to that for anybody watching this podcast and they know that they're running a business or they're having a product that isn't available in, in, in areas, maybe where they came from, where they grew up in, mm-hmm. you know, is that just an ethical choice that you have to make in order to go make it possible to provide the, these um, lesser served communities? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, and what I really, truly love about black people is that even you may not, they may not bring it to us, but we will create our own, which yes. is basically, yeah. So we're just like, you know, that's fine. I mean, I have some wonderful friends who in Harlem have some very, um, successful, uh, fitness facilities, very successful. I actually teach for a friend of mine, um, in Harlem and, you know, virtually, and his business is, is extremely successful. I have a girl in my group, I have two women in my group who have Pilates studios in Harlem and they're still doing very well. So we said, you know what? Um, and it's, it's just like, you know, creating Black Wall Street and all the other, you know, black owned towns. You know, we said, well, if you're not going to give us what we deserve as humans, we will create it ourselves. But then when we create it ourselves, then, you know, then white people are mad. They're like, well, why are you creating it? You know, why are you doing this? And why can't I be a part of it? It's because, you know, we've asked for it for centuries. And then when we didn't get it and we're not willing to take the scraps that you're just get, letting, you know, dropping from the table that you're, you let us sit underneath the table. You want to let us sit at the table. Um, then we, you know, we're at the point where, you know, hey, we're tired. So we'll just go and start our own, which that's, you know, that's what I did with Black Girl Pilates 
is, you know, is I went and I started this group because it's a group. It's not really a studio. Um, you know, it's a revolution or what I call it's a revolution, a sisterhood and a brotherhood. And I started this so that we could support each other so that I could go and I, you know, and there's another black person I know that teaches Pilates. So for once I can go and actually be taught by a, by a black person. Although that was my experience initially, you know, it wasn't everybody else's experience, you know, but now I can look at 430 plus women in my group all over the world. And I can go now since, you know, thanks to COVID, <laughs> I can go down and I can work with any of them right. all over the world. Wow. And I want to get Amazing. more into Black Girl Pilates too, because I want to understand your journey in becoming a founder of that. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to hear more about Black Girl Pilates. How can we be a part of it or how can we support the group and your company? And also how to really create an anti-racist environment, especially in our fitness facilities when we come back. We are back with Sonia R. Price Herbert, founder of Black Girl Pilates. And Sonia, you were just going to break down for me the steps that we need to be conscientious of when it comes to making an anti-racist environment, especially in fitness facilities. Mm -hmm. I love the way you numbered this and broke it down um, on the Washington Post. First off, why did you specifically feel the need to be this detailed about the mindset we need to have in creating an anti-racist environment? Well, you know, it actually, it's, it's, it's a lot more simple than, than people think. Um, you know, as I was saying previously, racism is, is a heart issue. And the, you know, the, the example that I use a lot in my webinars is I talk about how someone, you know, someone's an alcoholic, right? So they, they know that their, their alcohol use affects them personally in a negative way and affects the people around them and their environment, right? So they know, okay, there's something going on. So first, the very first thing that you have to do as an alcoholic is that you have to admit that you're an alcoholic. So the person admits that they're an alcoholic. Okay, now I'm a, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. So what do I what do I need to do? Um, where do I start? So the person Google's. And I say that on purpose. The person Google's, and they look for resources. They look for meetings to go to. They look for someone to hold them accountable. They start going to these to these meetings, reading through their resources. Um, you know, they're being held accountable and things like that. They also know that during this time that they're going to, they're going to fuck up. They're going to probably start drinking again. Uh, people are going to call them out. You know, they also realize during this time that this is going to be a lifetime of working on this. You're not going to go to one meeting and all of a sudden you're not an alcoholic anymore. You're always going to have uh, an issue with alcohol. Um, so it's going to take a lifetime you to work on that and it's going to it, there's going to be mistakes there's going to be things to, but you just you keep going because you want to change for yourself but you definitely want to change for the people that are around you and 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 your behavior that affects those people and that environment so it's the same thing with you know with 
the fitness facilities, the studios and organizations, what I'm seeing online, and I talk about this all the time on my lives, what I'm seeing online is like, I see organizations who are like, well, let's give a scholarship. And then they put up a black square. And so it's all of these band-aids for something that needs major surgery. And you cannot put a band-aid on some on a on a major you know on on surgery on on an open wound like that you know it requires like staples or stitches and all this it it requires a time to actually heal itself so band aids don't work and those band aids are like scholarship here for black people um, you know let me bring let me bring in more pictures of black people when you haven't even worked on your heart that's the very first step. Is, is to work Yo. on the heart. Nobody wants to look at themselves. No one. And if you're a white person, um, you're inherently racist. And no white person wants to turn the mirror on themselves and say that to themselves because it is, an, it is a heart issue and it hurts. And like I said, it's something that's so ingrained that it runs through their blood. You can see it in their in their blood vessels. You can see the coming out of everywhere. You know, so if out of any of the steps, any of the ones that I've named, that is the very first thing. Because all the other little band-aids that, you know, these organizations or whoever, you know, are trying to like, you know, it's always about give money so things will change. That doesn't change things. That's not going to help that's not going to help my community at all. What will help is, is if you look at yourself and you turn the mirror on yourself and you see yourself for who you are. And then you say, you know what? It's not right. I am treating another human being inhumane. So what am I going to do? Now I understand even more in depth your first step when you break down these steps to creating an anti-racist environment. And I'll read this to you guys because it's, it's worth absorbing. Um, number one, Sonia says to begin with yourself. And what she shared here is that it has to start with the heart. You have to do the work to flip the mirror upon yourself and really analyze, gosh, really understand your biases and the way you're raised, the way you're, you were raised to think, your privileges, I think, to be aware of them and how you use them and, and don't use them to protect and... Um, and, and ally as best as you can with um, the black community around you. And of course, you know, with um, whatever it is that you don't understand, what are you doing to take it upon yourself to learn and to familiarize yourself with the way that our country has been run, to be really honest mm-hmm. with you. The second thing you said is to call out racial injustices when you recognize them, to put your body in front of your black coworker or client at these fitness facilities and studios when you observe prejudice and discrimination. Yes. You, yes. The third one is to seek out and learn from the black people who are leaders in anti-racism slash racial mm-hmm. justice education and who speak openly and honestly about racism and white supremacy. Mm-hmm. I love that you also offered the people that I, I, I assume you also learn from and consider mentors and colleagues, which are the fitness coach Chrissy King, the pediatric yes. physical yes. therapist Jennifer mm-hmm. Hutton, and clinical health mm-hmm. sports psychologist Carrie Kerr. Yeah, and these are all these ladies are all friends of mine. Chrissy and I have been friends for years. Um, you know, we're all 
actually very, very new. I think, uh, I mean, I, Chrissy was teaching uh, diversity and inclusion. And um, when I decided to do the webinars, I reached out to her and I was like, hey, Chrissy, I am getting overwhelmed. (laughs) I really need your help. Can you like, can you turn this into something? And she was like, oh my goodness, thank you for, you know, reach out to me. Absolutely. Same day she turned around and then I put it up on my Instagram because it was just becoming overwhelming for me because I was like, I can't handle all these people. And so she came in, you know, like the sister that she is and, you know, she did her thing and, and stuff like that. But I want to go back to connecting all three of those points and, and, and what the, what the connection is. So the first point I mentioned about, you know, turning, you know, turning the mirror on yourself and first acknowledging your inherent racism as a white person. Right. And that's also for non-black uh, POCs as well. Right. Because there's these, this adjacency to, to whiteness, um, and there's an anti-blackness within non-black POC communities, as we know. Um, so connecting that point, so you you first, you admit that, right? And then number two, so you, you admit first, right? Okay, so now, once you, once you realize that, okay, the, this is what's going on, then you can see, you become more aware and so when the folks come to my webinars and stuff like that, I say, okay, now that you've admitted you're here, so I assume that you know that you're racist. If you don't, then, you know, why are you here? Right. Now we're going to go through this, this workshop and I'm going to help you be, become more aware of what's going on because you have the privilege and what a privilege you have to not worry about what's going on in any community other than your own, even if you care about that. So awareness first, and then once you become, once you admit and become more aware, then you start to see those things, right? Those things that you never really paid attention to or didn't have to. And now that you're aware of those things, now that you you can start to call those things out because you see those injustices. So now you can start to put your body in front of mine. That's part of the work. You take those bullets. I take bullets every day. My community takes bullets every day and they don't necessarily have to be uh, physical bullets. You know, they're emotional bullets. Also, if you, if you see your black co- coworker over there with another white employee or a uh, white and client, white client, and you see that, you know, it's racist, you know, when it's racist, because if you decide you want to, well, I'm not going to be involved. It is. And it is. So put your body out there, go in there and, you know, and stop it and say, Hey, you know, we're not going to do that. And some, you know, a lot of white people don't want to do that because they're like, well, you know, I'm going to lose my job. Well, guess what? We've lost our jobs, our families, our history, everything. This has been centuries of that stuff. So for you to lose your job or even think, I doubt if you'll lose your job anyway, then, you know, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be that bad. So then you acknowledge, right? And then you call out and then you find those people, like some of the people that I mentioned, including myself, also my mentor, Catrice M. Jackson, you know, you follow those black women who are openly and who are openly talking about racism and white supremacy. And the other thing that I make plain is that in my webinar is that don't go looking for those black women who make your heart sing, that are palatable 
that, you know, oh, I really like her. She makes me feel good. No, you come to people like me who's not going to make you feel good. We don't give a fuck about your feelings. You go to, you know, my friend, you know, to my mentor, Catrice, who doesn't give a fuck about your feelings. But we're all, we're all talking the same message. We're all presenting the same. It's just presented differently. You know, the way I present is going to be different than Chrissy presents. But we're all, we're all saying the same thing. It just sounds different. But don't go look for the messages that, you know, are going to make you feel good. Wow. That's not what you're looking for. Because otherwise, you don't really want to do the work. You just want to feel good. And we're not there to make you feel good. We're there to liberate the Black community. That's what we're there to do. I'm not there to make friends with anybody or anything like that. And I make that plain in my webinars. You know, I'm not here to make you feel good. This webinar is not for you. You paid X amount of money to be up in here. So I assume that you're here for a reason. You know, and if you're not, you know, I got paid and so I'm good. You know, and what you do outside here, once you leave, you know, that's, I can't, you know, I, I can't be behind grown people. You know, I mean, I'll be watching you to see what you're doing because then that's going to tell me what you're really here for. But hey, I got paid and I'm good. Wow, you spoke so many, I'm literally depositing a lot of kind of arrows that hit me myself when, when you're speaking on, first of all, inheriting the racism that we've grown up with. And mm -hmm. definitely, you know, people that are non-black specifically have mm -hmm. to own that there are racist biases that have built into my head um and particularly also anti-blackness so you want to throw that in the mix too yeah right, right. that's in all cultures i mean we're dealing with our own anti-blackness but it's been perpetuated by yeah. white supremacy no you're not wrong about that I, I you know i used to when i was younger i i used to think when i was like a kid i used to think racist was more in the action of slurs and name calling, mm -hmm. right? You think obviously mm -hmm. the N-word or any yes, Asian yes. racial terms, that's that's the racist. And then as I got older, I noticed that anybody acting a certain way or, or mm -hmm. um, giving off any type of energy that was negative towards a person of color, like you, you knew what that, that was. But you're right. You said something there where it's not until you own what any, any biases you've had or any, or just the idea that you've been raised with racist beliefs that are just ingrained yes. in there. Just, just mm -hmm. from, even just in my Asian culture, I know that there's a lot mm -hmm. of anti-blackness there. It wasn't mm -hmm. until I owned it, Sonia, that I started to see more shit around me. And I started to realize the things that I've accepted mm -hmm. around me just because it, it didn't pertain to me. You know, yeah. just because, and, mm -hmm. and, and that is a really, that is a really raw pill to swallow because you're right, it didn't, like the things that I learned today that have always existed, like systemic racism, like I, I, I only started to really study it and really understand it today. And I still don't understand it to the depth of like somebody who's living it. I still will never get that, you know, which is why for yeah. me it's important to just sit back and really just listen and absorb and learn as much as I can mm -hmm. from, you know, people like yourself who are, you know, patient enough to, to explain what you should, you really don't have to explain. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is truly, now I understand, that thundering foundational step that needs to take place. Because only then can your eyes and ears open 
to really feel and and yeah. and, and and carry the burden, or, I guess, or to at least accept the responsibilities we have mm-hmm. as a, as a fellow human beside you of what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, Absolutely. Okay, so you've talked enough about these webinars, and I'm going to be real, real with you. I don't know what the fuck these webinars are, so I want to join. I want to be a part of it. I feel like you're talking about this really cool party that everybody else is invited to except me. So how yeah. do we get in touch with you? How do we join these webinars? How, we, how do we learn from you, Sonia? How do we support Black Girl Pilates? Tell us everything. So uh, the webinars right now, I'm, I'm on break because I was literally teaching not almost every weekend, but um, so I have in my arsenal right now, I have introduction to anti-racism for Pilates studios and instructors. Of course, I'm a Pilates instructor, so you know that was the first one I was going to do. I also have introduction to anti-racism for personal trainers, coaches, and group exercise instructors. I'm also a part of the gym and also a powerlifter. Um, so, um, and then I have decolonizing Pilates. That's another one where I talk more about um, the Black history that's uh, connected to. Pilates. So there is a, a black woman who worked with Joseph Pilates, who is the founder and creator of, of the Pilates method. And her name is Kathy Stanford Grant. Um, and she is the reason why I and many of the other black people are teaching today. So I talk about that and I talk about um, marketing, what marketing looks like in Pilates, uh, all these different buzzwords that they use. I talk about um, I talk about working with the black body, that it really isn't that different. Um, and I give resources at the end and things like that. Uh, so that's what's in my arsenal now. Next, well, we're not actually in August yet, but in September, I'm going to start a whole group of new ones. Um, I'll have a third, I'll have a actually decolonizing bodies is one, and then there'll be a decolonizing bodies two. With where I'll talk about uh, legacy, elitism, and racism, and how all of those things connect. And then I'm also going to be doing a general one um, on how to develop an anti-racism plan for fitness for fitness uh, facilities and gyms and studios. So anyone who's in fitness, who particularly those of them who own studios and um, and gyms and stuff like that, they can they can come to those to those webinars. Um, you can also support my work by going on my Instagram bio and there is a, you know, there's my Venmo, there's my PayPal, my PayPal. So you can support my work that way. Um, you can also with black girl Pilates, we don't necessarily have every now and then we may have things that, um, you know, we'll, we'll need assistance with. I just raised about $4,000, um, from a lot of the folks in my webinar, because I said, this is part of the work. This is your contribution to the nourishment of these, of these black folks who need it, uh, especially in this time. Um, and so I was able to raise $4,000 for about 20 of those instructors to come to the conference we just had this weekend for Black Girl Pilates. This was our, it was actually our fourth annual, I said third, but it's our fourth annual conference. It was online and went fantastic. Um, and so in my, in my newsletter, you can also join my newsletter as well. Wait, um, how do we join the webinar and how do we join? So <laughs> tell us how, is there a link? Yeah. Is there like, what can I include yeah. in my, so, so the webinar, the next few webinars, um, I will send out in my newsletter with the dates to begin registration. So you can go to my Instagram, uh, go to my Instagram. 
and in my bio, uh, there's my link tree. And then you you can go to my newsletter. You can join right there. Okay. And for and, everybody who's going to go to Sonia's Instagram page, because I know you guys are flooding over there like I've been, it's Commando <laughs> Fitness Collective. Commando yes. Fitness Collective. Okay. I mean, you Absolutely. can look up Sonia, R. Price, Herbert as well, but Commando mm-hmm. Fitness Collective is where it's at. So people yes. can click on this link, sign up for your newsletter, and immediately have access to your schedule for your webinars. Obviously, your yes. newsletter. Okay. Awesome. Yes. This is amazing, Sonia. Um, before we go, is there any last thing? I mean, you gave us so many nuggets of wisdom and, and so many things that we need to mull over and, and really marinate on. Is there anything that I didn't get to get to hear from you or or have you speak on that you wanted to share? You know, there's nothing in particular other than, um, again, I just want to, and I say this to myself regularly, again, what's most important to me is the liberation of my Black community. And I will, I promised myself that I would go to my grave um, helping in that process to liberate the black community. And that is so important to me. Um, I love my community. I love my blackness. I want to see us get what we deserve and to be treated like humans. And if anybody remembers me for anything, I hope that they remember me for that. I'm going to tell you, you're unforgettable already to my community and to me personally. Thank you for just being so honest and so truthful. And thank you for allowing me to actually call myself out on a lot of things I need to understand better about the way Mm -hmm. I was raised, the things I see, and how much more I have to understand today. So I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much, Jeannie. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. Of course, of course. Please, let's keep in touch. Let's be Insta friends. And then if you're ever in LA, will you just let me know? Because I'd love to sit down with you and, and hang out when it's safe to travel. I, you know, I've been to, L- I've been, I went to LA for the first time. New York's way cooler. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. So don't, don't yeah, get excited. But LA is pretty, pretty damn cool. LA is pretty damn cool. I really, I really like LA. Thank you. I, I, I love New York yeah. and my heart is, 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 is hurting mm-hmm. for New York right now, to be really honest with you, because that's my getaway. Actually, I've lived in LA for almost 15, almost 18 years now. And mm-hmm. my getaway is New York. So. Oh, wow. My getaway, yeah, my getaway would be LA. <laughs> oh, okay. So we well, then you know now who to call when you come out here. I'm going to pass you my number. Don't be a stranger. Yeah, thank you so much. That's such of course. just wonderful. Just wonderful. <laughs> of course. I love right. speaking with you. I'm going to let you yeah, go. You Please do enjoy the rest of your rest before you have to jump out there and save lives with your webinar. Yes. I know you're taking yes. a break right now, but come back. We need you. Absolutely. Listen, honey. Listen, honey. Listen, honey. Listen, honey.